While they're all taking your seats, if you'll turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, and that's where we're going to be for a little while. But while they're going and sitting down, I'm going to start somewhere else. I'm not going to start in Deuteronomy, but I want you to turn there. While they're finding their seats and getting settled, um, that was a bunch of good-looking kids, huh? Mine was the uh, one with no shoes on. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, hey, those kids are great. If you're here and you're a visitor and you, you don't have a church family, uh, we do on... Uh, on Sunday nights, it's canceled tonight, but next Sunday night is when we do Team Kid as a Church. And uh, I'm going to brag just for a minute. We've got uh, some men and women in the church, uh, Janie and Jonathan and, uh, and Betsy, and I've left out a ton of other ones. Uh, but that's kind of a core group uh, that do a great job with our kids. That's when they learn uh, the songs that they sing for us. And so if you're interested in plugging your child into a, a good children's ministry that's only getting better, uh, you found the place. And so if you're a parent and you're looking to uh, get plugged back in somewhere, uh, I'd encourage you to, uh, to bring your kids to, to what we have. We also have uh, student ministries and other things going on, too. Uh, maybe you're older and you want to get plugged in, and we have a, uh, we have a uh, older events going on as well. And so I just wanted to take a minute and tell you that while everybody was sitting down. Let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for all of the blessings him. Thank you that one day we are going to sit beside you and we are going to rest a little while. Lord, you promise us that one day uh, you'll wipe away every tear and one day uh, there will be no more worries and there will be nothing. The trials of this life will be over and God is the, the worse and worse that things get in life, the more we look forward to that day. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, help us all to have a burning desire to meet you one day and to... Uh, Sit down and rest beside you. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that day would come quickly. So Lord, please, uh, please use me uh, to speak to your people. And God, I pray that we would all leave here more like you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you're over in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to start in Exodus. But you don't have to turn there. After we leave Deuteronomy, I'm going to turn over to Revelation. And if you're not comfortable flipping all around in the Bible, you're welcome to just listen because I'm going to read the passage. But uh, what I want to talk to you today is, is about the idea of homecoming. I'm glad all you guys are here. I'm excited that we're having a homecoming service. I'm excited that we had all kinds of good music. I'm excited to see a, a lot of people. But there's something that, that all of us have in common. And there's, a, there's something that, uh, that God put inside of you that I don't know if you've ever recognized it or not. You all have the desire to fellowship and to celebrate, if it will. Like something to celebrate about. We like to go to football games. I won't tell you which one. I, I know a team that you probably don't want to celebrate recently, uh, but that's not what the message is about. Uh, your celebrating might be a little bit less. But there's all sorts of things that we like to do. We like to go to, uh, this isn't going to resonate with all of you, but sometimes we like to go to weddings because we like to celebrate the people that are, that are getting married sometimes. Then we also, we've got this, this thing called Christmas. We love to get together at Christmas time. We love to put presents under the tree. We love to have the family come over. 
We love to have the family leave. And so there's two, two celebrations that we have sometimes. But, but we are, you are wired in such a way is that you like to celebrate. And sometimes we celebrate good things, and sometimes we celebrate things that we probably ought not to celebrate. But inside of you, you as a human, you love celebrating. Just this week, we went to a, a person in the church's birthday party. Uh, I won't tell you how old they are either, but I'm going to have a birthday coming up soon. And, and I, there's something inside of you that likes to celebrate you. There's something inside of you that likes to celebrate teams when they do well, when they perform well. That's why when you go to a, a football game, they pass out cowbells. When else in life do you walk around with a cowbell and just start ringing it randomly? Uh, you never see ladies walking through the grocery store with cowbells, and when they see a sale, they just go crazy ringing the bell, and they buy all sorts of things. So we love to celebrate, and we love to celebrate what takes a good celebration and makes it even better is when you have great people that you're fellowshipping with. The other thing that makes a celebration good is that when you're celebrating with good people, when you eat good food. There's nothing that ruins a celebration quicker than celebrating with people that you don't like eating food that is no good. That's not the idea of a good celebration. And so hopefully today you're with people you like. Hopefully you brought good food. I won't tell you any different. Uh, I promise. So we like to celebrate. God, in his infinite wisdom, when he created everything, when he organized everything in the Old Testament, he did it in such a way as to feed that appetite that you have for celebrations. And so if you guys, I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not, but God creates everything in seven days. And excuse me, he creates everything in six days. And on the seventh day, the Bible says that God rested. After he does that, uh, you have the story of Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve are created perfect. They're, they're in the garden, and they're having fellowship with God. They're eating good food. They're fellowshipping with good people. They're fellowshipping with God above everything else, and everything is perfect. Well, then Adam and Eve sin, and they're, they're banished from the garden, and now man is separated from God. Well, as the story progresses, God is, is on a mission to bring those people back to himself, and now, and when we pick up in Exodus, his people have just been rescued from 400 years in slavery. Am I doing something wrong, Ron? Okay. I want to make sure it's not my flower. Good. All right. So now the people have been rescued from slavery, and now it's time for them to re-engage in this relationship with God. And so God sets up celebrations, feasts. He sets up festivals. And so here we have in Exodus, you stay there in Deuteronomy. In Exodus 23, he says this. This is Exodus 23:10. You shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to work, but on the seventh day, you shall cease from labor in order that your ox and donkey may rest. And the sons of your female slave, as well as the strangers, may refresh themselves. Now, concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Here's where we get to the celebration. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you're to eat unleavened bread. 
Now down in verse 16. You shall observe the feast of the harvest, of the fruits of your labors, from what you sow in the field, also the feast of the end gathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So, in verse 17, three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord. So, uh, as you know, I don't know how familiar you are with history, but places like New York City, places like Las Vegas, any sort of big city where there's a, where there's a lot of uh, arts and things like that, none of those places could exist unless there was, what? A crop surplus. In this type of society, everybody's a farmer because everybody has to eat. Only when you have the mechanization of, uh, of all sort of farm equipment do people begin to branch out and they begin to do things like the arts. Like whenever you see a surplus of food, that's when you see most of your advances in medicine. You see most of your advances in music and art and all sorts of things like that. And so here we have uh, God says three times a year I want you to appear before me. And all of these people at the time were in some sort of agriculture business. Either they kept flocks and herds or they were to grow things in the field. Now, a lot of you guys can, can relate with this because a lot of you are farmers. And a lot of you grew up around farming. And so God says, three times a year, I want you to appear before me. Well, between Exodus and Leviticus, the people become uh, a little more sinful. And they also have something called a tabernacle that is built, which is a place where God lived among the people. You see, when the people were in the garden, God lived with them. Once they were banished from the garden, God no longer lived amongst the people. Once God frees his people from slavery, he has them build a tabernacle or a tent. This tent just happened to be round about $5 million or so. But he has them construct this tent, and he dwells in the tent. And then he tells them he wants them to come even more now. So I'm in Leviticus. Don't turn there. Leviticus 23. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in taking notes, if you're interested in, in, in all of these feasts that the Lord has, and I'm going to be honest with you, up until about three weeks ago, I wasn't. But once I started looking at them and studying them, I was amazed at these feasts. And so there's seven feasts that you read in Leviticus where God wants all of the people to appear before him. Now, I'm going to bore you with them for about a minute, and then we're going to move on, but it's going to make sense in the end. The first feast is the feast of the Passover. If you're familiar with the Bible, you remember when the, after the 10th plague, uh, the, uh, the angel comes by, and it says that that angel passed over all of the houses that had the blood on the doorposts. And so what God does is when these people are freed from slavery, he says, I want you to mark the Passover as the beginning of your year. And so you don't have a calendar now, but God says, I want the Passover. I want your celebrating the Passover to be how you start your year. So two weeks into the new year, they start the Passover. Then they have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, just so you know, their Passover happened in March or April. And so the beginning of their year was our March or April. That's when you, you put the crops in the ground. And some of the crops, that's when you get them out of the ground. So you have this Feast of Passover. Immediately following the Passover, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's two. Then you have the Feast of First Fruits. What happened is that God wanted all of you to come to him and to celebrate. And he wanted you to bring the first fruits that you grew out of the ground, and he wanted you to give them back to him. And so you guys know that once you start getting your crops in, once you pick the first batch, it's kind of nonstop till you get them in, and God knows this. And I want you to see the, the practicality of God. 
A lot of people think God's unreasonable. A lot of people think that he demands all of these wild things from us. But if you really take a look at the things that he asks of you, it's incredibly reasonable. And so he wants you to start your year with a feast when nothing's going on. He wants you to celebrate. When you bring in your crops for the very first time, he wants you to bring him some of them, and he wants to celebrate with you. And I'll tell you how in a minute. Then he says, seven weeks after that, seven weeks after you pick the first crops, I want you to have another feast. This was called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Sometimes we call it the Feast of Ingathering. And that's seven weeks after you pick the first crop. After seven weeks, all of your crops are in. You have a bountiful harvest. And God wants you to come back before him. And he wants you to celebrate. You have the Feast of Trumpets. This, this feast was a, a feast where he called the nation of Israel together as a people, and they were to repent of all of their sins and turn to him. Then there was the feast of, excuse me, and then following that was the Day of Atonement, where if you know anything about the book of Leviticus or Old Testament, the, uh, the Day of Atonement was a day where a lamb was killed on behalf of all the people to, to cover their sins for the year. And then finally you finished with a feast of booths, or booths, booths, I'm not real good at pronouncing that one. It's from where, it's just because of where we're from. We just can't say that word. Uh, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, this was a feast where after everything was done, you came and you celebrated again because this was a, this was supposed to be a feast where you were celebrating Jesus, reign, or excuse me, you're celebrating God reigning as king over all the people. Now, if you're not used to growing up in church, You'll have to forgive me for one minute, but if you are a, a, a familiar with the things that we're talking about, I'm going to indulge you just for a minute. Some of these feasts, when you talk about the end of times, have already happened. If you ever wonder where we are as far as when Jesus is coming back and things like that, you can use these feasts as a guideline. Uh, three of these feasts have a New Testament fulfillment. Excuse me, four of them have a New Testament fulfillment, and three of them don't. We as believers are still looking forward to three of these feasts. And that will give you some idea of where we are on a timeline. Uh, Just another quick selling point. If you're interested in the story of the Bible... If, you're, if I'm telling you this story quickly and you're not, you're not following, you're not, you're not keeping up, that's okay. Maybe you've never been through it. In about three months or so, our church is going to begin journeying through the Bible on Sunday mornings together. And it's my favorite thing to teach. It's my absolute favorite thing to teach, to, to start in Genesis. And I promise you, it's not boring. I hate being bored more than anything else in the world. Some of you say, well, why are you boring us now? But shame on you if that's, if that's what you're thinking. I love this study through the Bible, and so if you're not familiar with it, if you want to teach your kids the story of the Bible, but you maybe don't know it, you should come on Sunday mornings, and we'll walk through it together. Anyways, back to the feast. What happens at these feasts? How do you come before God? How do you celebrate before God when you have this harvest? Well, I want you to see how practical God is. You guys know, hopefully, the nation of Israel is about the size of Vermont. And let's just say that you harvest olives. Uh, If you were in the Middle East, an olive would be a normal crop that you would harvest. Well, let's just say you have tons of acres of olives. God says, I want you to bring me a tenth of your harvest. How would you go about taking your whole olive crop, taking a tenth of it, and then carting it all the way to Jerusalem? Doesn't it seem like it would be a bit of a pain to take... Tons of olives, tons of pounds of olives, put them on the backs of horses and donkeys and walk them all the way to Israel just so you could give them to God. That would seem a little bit burdensome. 
One of the things that God wanted the people to do is he wanted you to bring the best from your field. And he wanted you to bring it to the temple. And he wanted you to give some of it to him. But you didn't give God all of your tithe. Now, this isn't a New Testament tithe. This is an Old Testament tithe. What you would do with a tithe is you would take some of it and you would give it to the temple. You would give it to the Levites who were managing everything. But then some of it you would set aside and you would eat with your family in the presence of God. You wonder why Baptists and you wonder why church people enjoy eating so much? It's because it's, it's bred into us. There is there's something that happens when godly people come together over a meal. There's a fellowship that takes place that you don't get other places. And so what God wants to do in the Old Testament is he wants to meet with his people. He wants them to come to where he is. He wants them to bring their best food and he wants to eat with them. And so it was a chance for your whole family to share a meal with God. That's an incredible idea. So what did it look like when the people came and they shared a meal with God? That's where you are in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says this. This is chapter 14, verse 22. He says, You shall surely tithe all the produce from which you sow, which comes out of the field every year. Verse 23. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. Now this is where he gets really practical. He says in verse 24, If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring the tithe... Since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So I'm going to stop for a minute. And so God says, if it's too far for you to bring all of your food, if it's too far for you to bring all of your cattle, because remember, a tenth of everything belongs to the Lord. He says, do this. He says, sell it. Sell it. Take a tenth. Whatever you can get for it, sell it. Take the money. Let's just face it. It's easier to walk across country with a visa than it is to walk across with a whole herd of animals and tons of peanuts and and olives and such. It's just much easier. And then he says, when you get to the place that the Lord chooses, verse 26, you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. For oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Now, I just talked about strong drink last week. There's a, there's a caveat here. All right, He doesn't want you to buy the strong drink and then drink it in his presence. He wants you to, to offer it as an offering. You go over to the book of Numbers and there happens to be a strong drink offering. Now, we're not going there. You come back maybe Wednesday night. We'll talk about it more. But I don't want my crowd that was here last week to to go off running saying everything I said was wrong. So God wants you to enjoy him. Some of you here may be Presbyterian. You may come from a Presbyterian background. And there is something that you guys have that I thoroughly enjoy. The the chief end of man. If you grew up in a Presbyterian church, you already know what I'm talking about. You were, you were taught these things as a child. And if you're a Presbyterian, you grow up in a Presbyterian church, all my Presbyterians are excited. Like, yeah, we got it. The chief end of man is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is that you glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
You see, God doesn't want to give you a list of of rules of do's and don'ts. He wants you to be readily, openly in a relationship with him, and he wants you to enjoy him forever. He wants everything you do in life to be good and to bring him glory and honor, and then he wants to enjoy life with you. You see, this thing we call the Christian faith is not a burdensome thing. It's easy. God says, bring me a tithe. But if it's too far for you to bring all of your stuff, sell it. And when you come before me, buy whatever you want. So you could, you could have all olives. You could be an olive farmer. And at the end of the year, you are so sick of olives that you want to throw up. And so he says, you can sell your olives and you can put the money in your hand and you can come to where I am and you can buy whatever you want to give me. And so let's just say that I have my olive field, but my neighbor beside me has all of these cows. And I'm like, man, I like steak, but all I have is these olives. I would love to fellowship with God and buy several cows and offer God cows because my whole life, all I've had to offer him was olives. Well, he says that you can take the money and you can buy whatever you want and you can offer it to the Lord. And so you weren't stuck with whatever you had. And then when you buy whatever you want, you're to eat it and you're to drink it in his presence and you're to enjoy him. So think this. You've got a whole nation of Israel. You've got over two million people and they all come seven times a year for a tailgating escapade where you bring all of your tithe and you bring it and you present it to God. And it's like a Dallas Cowboy football game where they've got this huge dome, which would have been the temple. And now you've got all of these people camped around the temple and they're all sharing a meal with the Lord, a good meal with the Lord. Do you get the scenery here? That's somewhat of a reason why we have something called a homecoming service, because it's a a preview of what's to come. We also have what we call the Lord's Supper. When we eat the Lord's Supper, it's not just supposed to be a reverent thing that we do, but we're celebrating a, a time where we get to share a meal again with Christ. It gives us a time to look forward to something in the future. Finally, where we'll end up is over in the book of Revelation. You can turn there. Revelation chapter 19. So I told you there's seven feasts that the people had. Only seven. Four of them have a New Testament fulfillment. Three of them don't. If that doesn't make sense, don't worry. We'll, we'll get there one day. Um, you just keep coming back and we'll, we'll get you there. Then you have another feast that's brought up. You've got a feast that you haven't heard of before. Revelation chapter 19 says this. Verse 6. And this is John. The apostle John has a vision of heaven. He says, Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so there's going to be a day where Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is coming again. He's already come once. He came once to forgive you of your sins. And now he's coming again to to be wed to his bride. Now his bride is the church. The church is not this building. The church is the people that make up this building. So Jesus Christ is coming back one day, and he's coming to get his church. Then he says this, verse 9. Then he said to me, write, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's going to be another feast one day, a feast that hasn't taken place yet. And that feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb. One day, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to be called up to heaven, whether you die or whether Christ comes back. And we, once everything is situated, we are going to sit down at a table with all the saints of God, and Jesus Christ himself is going to be there, and we are going to share a meal with him, and it is going to be absolutely fabulous. It's going to be like no meal you've ever had before. Most of the big meals you've had before, there's always something awkward in the atmosphere. There's always a family member who's who's done something that 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 is that is awkward for the family. There's always something going on. You know how family is. But imagine if not mine, just yours. You know how your family is. This just in case my mom listens to the tape. So You guys know how family is sometimes, but imagine a giant family made up of Christians who are free from sin, sitting down in heaven, sharing a meal together. It's going to be like nothing you've ever seen in your life. Now, the food over here is going to be good. The fellowship is going to be good. But if you make it to heaven, it's going to be so much more grand when we get there. And so maybe you're here and you think, "Mm, this heaven thing sounds a little bit abstract. How does one go about being invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb? Because I would love for once just to eat a stress-free meal. That's going to be in heaven with Christ. This is how it happens. All of you, all of, all of me and my family, we are all what we call sinners. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the standard that God has for us. We cannot go to the marriage supper of the Lamb the way that we are because we have this thing called sin. Heaven is going to be a completely perfect place where all sin has been wiped away. And so you have sin, I have sin. The Bible says that we're all sinners, but it says that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. So the first time Jesus came, 2,000 years ago, he died on your behalf and he died on my behalf so that he could wipe you free from sin. If you're here and you've never experienced freedom from sin, you haven't started living yet. Even if you're in your 80s, your 90s. If you haven't experienced a day in this life being forgiven from your sin, you have not experienced anything yet. I remember that when I prayed to Christ to forgive me of my sin, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ for him to forgive me and for... uh, for him to forgive me of my sins, it felt like a, a weight was lifted off my back that was unreal. Forgiveness isn't something that our society is real familiar with. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, you can be forgiven. And when you are forgiven of your sin, then you receive your invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, the invitation is there. You just have to accept it. Much like a party where you get sent an invitation, unless you RSVP, you don't get to go. There's multiple stories of of Jesus. Uh, He tells many parables in the New Testament where he went out and he invited people to come in to this marriage feast. But the people didn't come. Listen, Christ loves you more than you could ever imagine and he's done more for you than you could ever imagine sometimes we think 
Finances are our biggest problem. Sometimes we think our kids are our biggest problem. Sometimes we think school is our biggest problem. The reality is is that you, you do have a big problem. But the problem isn't any of those things. The problem is sin. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you will not make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb with sin. And so you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then you get invited to openly come in and feast with the Lord. So as we're going over there to eat, I want you to give some thought to what it's going to be like when we do get to go to heaven. There's going to be nothing but perfection. There's going to be everything that you ever longed for is going to be fulfilled. Some of the things you think you long for are incredibly foolish. I like to say, I enjoy playing golf. But if heaven was nothing but golf, just think the golf channel for millions and millions of years. I don't know if I could stand those commercials for that long. Even if I was playing golf for millions and millions of years, it would come up short. If it's hunting, whatever fishing, whatever your go-to is, whatever you think brings you the most fulfillment, heaven is going to be more than that. Because for an eternity, you will never grow tired of Christ. He will amaze you more and more with each passing day. And Christ wants you to join him at this feast. But the call for you first is to accept him and to put your faith in what he did for you so that you can be fit to share the meal with him. And so as you guys come forward, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. Guys, if you're here and you don't know if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven, if you don't know that, you're, that a little card for you is going to be on the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you come down and, and talk with me, and I would love to introduce you to our Savior. And so if you guys will stand, we'll sing our song of invitation. And as you're standing, I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for... Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for how incredibly practical you are. God, I want to thank you for inviting us to feast with you in heaven. And Lord, I long for the day when we get to sit down with all the saints in a perfect environment and enjoy fellowship together. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know if they would experience that fellowship in heaven with you or not, Lord, I pray today would be the day of sin and they accept you as a personal Lord and Savior. And so, God, please move during this song of invitation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, you guys can stay standing for just a minute. We've got one announcement, and then I'm going to pray for us so we can eat. I'll give you a few instructions on eating. Uh, if you've been visiting for a while, I forgot to tell you this during the announcements. There's a, a small section in the bulletin that's inviting you to a lunch with my family and I and a few of our deacons. And so if you're interested in, in joining our church and you want to find out more information, uh, rip that piece off the bulletin and give it to somebody who looks like they know what they're doing here, and uh, they'll find a way to give it to me. You just trust that it'll get to me. You fill it out and uh, make sure I get it. That way we can have enough food prepared. Uh, When we leave here, the fellowship hall is that way. If you just follow the crowds, uh, you'll make it to where the food is. Uh, No need to run anybody over. If you have have kids and you want to go ahead and get your kids... uh, 
fed before they get antsy, as, as I do also, uh, you kind of shimmy your way to the front of the line. We'll let, you, we'll let you get towards the front, and the ones without kids will kind of hang back a little bit. They may shoot me for it next week, but they'll be delighted to do it this week. Uh, that's by way of announcements. Let me pray for us. I want to tell you thank you for coming. Uh, it was a joy to have you, and I look forward to fellowshipping with you over in the fellowship hall. Let me ask the blessing, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for all of the food that's been prepared. Thank you for the great time that we've had here in worship today. Lord, I pray that our entire lives would be a foreshadow of what's to come with you. Lord, I pray that we as a people would be able to uh, glorify you and enjoy you forever. And so, God, I pray that you would take this food that's been, that's been prepared. I pray that you would bless it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And God, I pray that you would help us to have a wonderful time of fellowship uh, over there in the fellowship hall. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming.